Hi, and welcome to Pineapple Reels. I'm your host, Nia, and on today's episode, I'll be covering my favorite movie from my favorite director, Quentin Tarantino. This movie came out in 2007, and it was part of a grindhouse feature. What's a grindhouse film, you might be asking? You stay tuned, I'll let you know. I guess girls really do get it done. Overall, my rating of this Quentin Tarantino flick is 10 out of 10. Five stars and any other positive words that can be said about it. Death Proof takes us on the wildest ride we've ever been on with stuntman Mike, played by seasoned vet Kurt Russell. Starring his group of lovely ladies, played by Vanessa Ferlito, Sidney Poitier, Rose McGowan, Jordan Ladd, Rosario Dawson, Zoe Bell, Tracy Toms, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Death Proof is about two separate sets of voluptuous women who are stalked at different times by a scarred stuntman who uses his Death Proof card to execute his murderous plans. Now, the stuntman is played by a legendary actor, Kurt Russell. And Kurt Russell does a really good job in this role of having you kind of, you kind of forget he's Kurt Russell for a moment because we're so used to him playing good guy or good good characters in movies that seeing how his character in this film it's uh, a little bit of a shock and so you do kind of he, he does a good job of, of, of letting you truly believe he is who he is with the way he's walking and talking the way he's dressed his mannerisms he's doing a very good job of, of cloaking himself which I really appreciated a grindhouse or action house is an American term for a theater that mainly shows low-budget horror, splatter, and exploitation films for adults. According to historian David Church, this theater type was named after the grind policy, a film programming strategy dating back to the early 1920s, which continuously showed films at cut-rate ticket prices that typically rose over the course of each day. This exhibition practice was marketed differently from the era's more commonly practice of fewer shows per day and graduated pricing for different seating sections in large urban theaters, which were typically studio-owned. I'm sure most people who have not seen this movie and they don't work in movies and stunts in particular have no idea what a death-proof car is, and I didn't know what a death-proof car was until I watched this film as well. So what a death-proof car is, it's a movie car. It's where the passenger seat is called a crash box. It's where the camera goes when the director wants to shoot a crash within the car. So if you want to get the angle of what the driver would be seeing, he could be able to put a car or she would be able to put a camera in the car a little bit easier to get get different angles and different action points to go ahead and splice it together. Later, you can drive a stunt, you can uh, give a stunt team any car, and for about ten to $15,000, it can quote-unquote death-proof it for you. So what they're just generally doing is reinforcing this car so much that it can absorb shock and, more importantly, protect the person who's inside on the driver's side, which is pretty cool when you get to see these cars are going head-to-head. You know, they're smashing into each other, buildings, other things, debris. And only the driver, like I said, is going to be death-proof, which we realize later in this film is going to be a key element that comes to play later on in the first act. There are a few things I forgot to mention earlier about this movie. Now, since they're trying to get the effect of a film movie and the feel of a grindhouse movie, there are a few things you have to keep in mind with this film. 
Grindhouse movies were kind of choppy. I mean, they weren't perfect like the movies that we watch now and we know and love dear. Sometimes you had a color mess up or a color swap where a film would be in black and white for part of it and color in part of it. Um, there could be other things that are taken out or dubbed over. For this grindhouse feature, Quentin Tarantino and fellow director Robert Rodriguez decided to pair up and do an homage to grindhouse theater, which they both have a love for. Now, what they did was really nice and awesome. So if you... Well, I was, I was in high school when this movie came out. I was a, a, a sophomore or a junior in high school. And my dad was the one that told me what a grindhouse movie was. So because of him, I knew how the protocol was going to be for this kind of movie. And that kind of sounds weird saying it. But if you've been to a theater production, it's just the same. Uh, when you go to the theater, you're watching a show that's usually about three and a half hours, maybe four hours. Somewhere in that middle point of the show, they're going to come to a close, take a break, 15, 20 minutes to go to the bathroom, get snacks, stretch your legs, maybe talk about the movie that you just watched and what you thought about it, things of that nature. So what I did like is that Tarantino and Rodriguez decided to keep that spirit with uh with these two films. Even between the two films and the theater when it came out, they made... They had other directors come, like Eli Roth, and they would do a spoof for a trailer for a movie that didn't exist, but kind of felt, uh, you know, matched the campy theme that they were going for in this in these films. Now with Death Proof, I do want to break it down pretty thoroughly, just because I love this film so much, and it's not too complex. Just about everybody can watch it, understand it, grasp it, and take it for what it is at face value. It's not any deeper than what you're seeing on screen, which in this case, in this action-packed movie, it is perfect because we don't need to be lingering on about certain things that's happening in the in in this moment between these in the between these sets of people. Before I go deeper into this film and start breaking it down and giving my synopsis, I do want to go ahead and just give a general overview of the movie. And obviously, spoilers are going to be ahead when I start talking in more depth about the about the film. But to start off, um, I love this film overall. As a young teen seeing it, when I say young teen, I'm meaning 15, 16 years old, I really appreciated the quote-unquote like quote girl power that I saw on screen. More so with the second group of ladies, only because I felt like I related more to them compared to the first group. Just how I personally felt. And that might be because I see myself more as Tracy Tom's character, Kim, or Rosario Dawson's character, Abernanthy. Um, and even even a little bit of uh, Sidney Poitier's character, uh, Jungle Julia Lakai. Like, I, I can see myself in all three of those characters just a little bit. But I can see myself in all the ladies, so it wasn't too too hard to um, you know keep keep that in mind. But I do like how how badass it is. I like that the dialogue is believable and the situ in the situations make sense. Um I like that it flowed naturally. I, I I appreciated that it didn't feel like I was watching actors on screen. It felt like for a moment, especially with the chase scenes, that I'm just a bystander seeing something that was not meant for my eyes. So it's like a peek into someone's life. So I really did like like that about the film. The chase scenes were authentic and real 
There was no CGI used. I really liked that as well. You had real cars crashing into real cars driven by obviously stunt people. And one of the actors in this film, her name is Zoe Bell. Zoe Bell is actually a real stunt woman. And she plays Zoe in the film, ironically. And she was the woman who did the stunt work for Uma Thurman in Kill Bill 1 and 2. And Tarantino saw something in her, wanted to put a little bit more of a highlight on her, and featured her as one of the major characters in the act two of this film, which I really liked as well. I think Zoe Bell is a phenomenal badass of a woman. To see some of the stuff that she's been able to do was really great. Um, I like that from this film, she has went on to do even more films um, highlighting her stunt work, which is nice to see. There there have been a few actors in the past, like Clint Eastwood, that were stuntmen that turned around their career and they became actors. So it's nice to see that she's she's following suit and doing, doing so as well. It seems to be doing really well for her. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis. Again, if you have not seen Death Proof, and you would love to see it, don't want it ruined, just want to jump in it and see what it's got, this is your stopping point right now. Go ahead and pause it, watch the film, come back, listen, see if you agree, see if you feel the same way, if you if you notice any of the things I'm talking about. Now, if you haven't seen it, and you're not going to see it right this moment, but you don't, you don't mind it being ruined, then by all means, keep listening. I'm going to break down this synopsis for Death Proof into two parts. The two parts would be Act 1 followed by Act 2. Act 1 is going to star Kurt Russell, uh, Vanessa Folito, Sidney Poitier, Rose McGowan, Jordan Ladd, Quentin Tarantino, and Eli Roth. Just those characters. And the second act, that's when we'll be getting into Rosario Dawson, Zoe Bell, Tracy Toms, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So, we're going to jump right into it. Now, the scene opens with them driving down the road. They get to Julia's apartment um, and they to grab her so they can go out on the town and get drinks. This first act is filmed in Austin, Texas. It was actually filmed on location. So they are actually driving up and down South Congress when they're in the car. You can see a few of the places that are home staples while they're driving, like Home Slice, Guero's Tacos, um, Joe's Coffee, and... Obviously, if you've ever been to Austin or live here in Austin, whenever you do see the film, it's nice to kind of see what a little snapshot of what Austin looked like in 2007, 2006 when this was made compared to what it looks like now in 2020. So they go ahead and they go meet a friend at Guero's Tacos, which is a real place for drinks. While they're there, they bump into a friend at the first bar they go to. And that friend makes it apparent that Julia, who has a radio show, gave her listeners a challenge. If they happen to catch her and her friends on on the night, excuse me, if they happen to catch her and her friends out, they should approach her friend Arlene with a drink. And they should look her in the eye when they give it to her and recite a poem and call her Butterfly. If so, Arlene will give them a lap dance. Now, Arlene obviously is visibly upset with Julia for saying this on air, which Julia replies, well, if they aren't attractive, you can just lie and say that you've already done it and leave it at that. Julia, Arlene, and Shanna stumble out of that bar and go to another bar called the Texas Chili Parlor, where the owner, played by Quentin Tarantino, is there. 
He continues to give them more drinks and pours them shots, and they all down shots of chartreuse with him. Dov, played by the director Eli Roth, and his friend wind up joining them at some point between the last bar they went to and this this bar. Now, the plan that the girls have is for them to go to Shanna's father's lake house on Lake LBJ with the one rule her dad gave them, no boys at the lake house. At the bar, we're introduced to a blonde named Pam, played by Rose McGowan, who happens to have went to school with Junga Julia, and they were rivals. Both of them have nothing but negative things to say about each other as if they were back in high school. They continue to bicker to other friends that they're drinking around about each other. Pam later asks Warren if there is anyone at the bar he can vouch for to give her a ride home. Now, Stuntman Mike is at the bar, and he offers to take her home by sliding his keys down at the bar to her. And he lets her know he hasn't had any liquor all night. He's at the bar for the nachos and women, to which Pam asks Warren, and Warren complies with saying, yeah, you know, he hasn't had any alcohol all night. Later outside on the porch, Julia, Arlene, and their friends are smoking on the porch. Arlene looks drunk and kind of leans on Julia a bit. Julia asks if she wants to invite Dov and other boys back to the lake house or just have the girls. She replies, just to girls. Stedman Mike happens to come out on the porch around this time and gives Julia and Arlene each a beer. He looks Arlene in the eyes, cheers her with the beer, and repeats the following poem. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, and I have miles to go before I sleep. Did you hear me, butterfly? Miles to go before I sleep. Julia looks at him and tells him that Arlene's already done done the lap dance, but he doesn't buy their story and calls her a chicken shit and pulls out a notebook and tells her that anybody he thinks is a chicken shit goes in his book and he's going to have to labor her, her under sea for chicken shit. Arlene, not liking his him taunting her, snatches her book and tells him to get ready for a lap dance and she'll be inside later to fulfill her duty. Julia looks at her, puzzled, asking, you know, like, what happened? Like, I thought we said we weren't going to, you know, if they're cute and funny. And Arlene doesn't really say anything. Next scene is they uh, go back into the bar, and Arlene gives uh, Stuntman Mike a lap dance to a song called Down in Mexico, which is a pretty nice song. I actually like it now a lot uh, from watching the film. I never heard of it until that until that uh, movie. So now the bar is closed and the girls, now all chumming with Pam, say their goodbyes as Pam gets in the car with Stantman Mike. And the girls, meaning Julia, Arlene, and Shannon, get in the car with their friend Lana, Lana Frank. As they begin to leave, Mike asks Pam which way is she going. She responds with an enthusiastic right. As he tells her, well, that's too bad, as there's only a 50-50 chance they'd be going the same way. And since she he's going left and she would have to go right, she she would have to get scared immediately. After that, he peels off and books it to the left. He slams on the gas, swerving up and down the street, sending Pam flying to the back of her seat. Stuntman Mike is speeding down the road, slamming Pam all around the car. She pleads for him to let her out as she won't tell anybody, to which he responds with, Remember when I told you this car was deathproof? Well, to really have that experience, you really need to be sitting in my seat. And he slams on the brakes, which caused Pam to smash her head on the dashboard and seemingly snapping her neck. He pauses to lean over and watches her die. 
gurgling and choking on her own blood. He then speeds off to catch up with what he calls his girlfriends, or the ladies in the car. Cut to Lana driving down the road with all the girls in the car and they're jamming out to music. Stintman Mike catches up with the girls who are on a back road, jamming out, like I said, oblivious to his passing car. He gets a bit ahead of them, turns his car around, and shuts off his headlights and goes speeding towards their car down the road. Shanna sets a song she played louder and she crawls from the back seat to the front to turn the volume up. At that exact moment, stuntman Mike flips his lights on right before crashing into their car. Shanna goes flying out of the front window. Lana's neck is broken and she smashes against the steering wheel. Julia is mangled and her leg ends up being separate from her body, having it hanging out of the car during the ride. And Arlene's face sadly is brutally ripped off from her from the car tires. Cut to the hospital where we learn stuntman Mike is still alive. Somehow he survived the crash with multiple injuries, though not life altering. The shelter and son number one, who replies are, who are reprising their roles from Kill Bill, um, also they speak to the doctor, whom is from the earlier film um, Planet Terror, which is the first. If you saw it in theater, it was the first film before Death Proof. Death Proof was the second film in the series, and Doctor Block, whom is the daughter of the sheriff, is in this film. So they had a couple of the actors cross over. From both films, just like Rose McGowan was also in Planet Terror. She's a, she played the lead girl that has changed her hair color. Stuntman Mike is still alive. Somehow he survived the crash with multiple injuries, though not life-altering. We see him speaking to the sheriff and son number one in the room as the doctor walks out. The sheriff asks the doctor if how he's doing if there's any liquor in his system to which the doctor replies he's very lucky to be to be alive and that nothing happened and that he doesn't have more serious injuries now those that you those of you who don't know the sheriff and son number one actually reprised their role from kill bill one where they played the same exact characters a father and son law enforcement duo and dr block dr block is the daughter of the sheriff whom if you saw this grindhouse feature she was in the first movie called planet terror the zombie movie and she's also a doctor there she's the one that's trying to escape from her abusive husband now the sheriff is pretty smart and he doesn't buy any of what stuntman mike is saying to them he tells son number one that he thinks that stuntman mike premeditated the car crash though he can't prove it he just feels it he thinks he gets sexual pleasure from the crash something about the hard metal crashing and the blood and all that and though he can't prove it doesn't have any evidence he says he can make damn sure he won't do it again in texas cut to lebanon tennessee 14 months later after said incident now this is the start of act two with the second group of ladies this is when we're introduced to abernathy kim lee and zoe Act two opens up with three, which will eventually become four ladies in a car outside of a corner store. It is here where they first encounter stuntman Mike. And it's a brief encounter. Abernathy has her feet outside of the car 
and Lee is also inside the car with her. They're waiting for Kim, who is inside the convenience store, to get coffee and energy, and some energy drinks for the ladies before they go to the airport to pick up one of their friends. Wash is inside. Stuntman Mike is outside, kind of lurking by the girls, whom don't see them. Abernathy is napping, and she has an eye mask on, so she can't see anything. And Lee is inside the car, and she can see just fine She's as she's awake, but she has headphones in and she's singing, so she's not really hearing anything, which is a nice little nod of the play on the senses right now. Well, Abernathy has her feet out. Stuntman Mike apparently has an aversion to feet, and he goes and he touches her feet, which for every reason startles Abernathy, and he tosses his keys to the side to act as if it was an accident, and he's just looking for his keys. Abernathy does make a remark later that it bothered, it, it kind of weirded her out of him bumping or brushing against her feet. All four women, including Zoe, like I said, we're going to meet later, are in the film industry. Abernathy is a makeup artist and stand-in. Lee is an actress. Both Zoe and Kim are stuntwomen. They have all driven down from Hollywood to the small town to pick up Zoe from the airport. The ladies later on go to the airport to pick Zoe up. On the car ride to the diner, they talk, set, romances, and gossip. It's at this time that we learn about Abernathy's involvement with one of the directors on the set that they're currently working on. Lee is entangled with one of the crew members, and Kim apparently has a thing for taking other women's boyfriends, which the girls just laugh about it as Kim kind of laughs it off in denial. Now, they go to this, this uh, diner, a small diner, for breakfast. Abernathy tells a story about her and Zoe. Now, uh, at this point, this is a, cl- a scene where it's a classic Tarantino shot, which is a long shot. It's just actors going back and forth excuse me, back and forth with no cut, um, no cuts in it. It's just one seamless take with the camera rotating in a circle, panning onto every person's face. Now, the first time I watched this, I didn't notice until I was on IMDb and I looked at the trivia section and I read it. And it kind of felt like that, um, the, the, the gorilla psychology appointment, like, oh, do you see the, the, the black gorilla, you know? And I went back and I watched and I saw it. I was like, wow, so it was, this was in front of my face the whole time. So the scene I'm talking about is when they're at the diner and they're talking. And the camera's panning, like I said, on all the women's faces as they're talking or as they're listening to the story being told. It is very subtle, but we see the back of Stuntman Mike having lunch there very casual as if he's a townie and it's not a big deal. And... I do really like this part of the film because it shows you how close he's getting to these women and them not realizing it or feeling like something's off or knowing that someone's watching them because it's too coincidental that they're in the same places at the same time. So um, at this point, Abernathy tells a story about her and Zoe on a previous movie they worked on together. She goes into detail about Zoe's prowess and why she has earned the nickname of Zoe the Cat. Also in this scene, we learn that Lee is in the brightest light bulb and to not fuck around with Kim as she carries a Roscoe, which is known as a pistol of those who don't know. Abernathy makes a sly remark saying that people who carry guns are more likely to get shot and suggests that she should carry something else. She should carry something else like pepper spray or a knife. And Kim shoots her down by saying if someone were to attack her, 
she want to shut that motherfucker down her words and people who carry knives get shot kim asks zoe about what she would like to do while visiting the u.s to which zoe replies it's been her dream to drive a car like one of the film vanity point and kim kind of laughs at her you know telling her it's kind of impossible but Zoe lets you know she's got it all planned planned out already. She subscribed to the local paper in that town. And she not only found that car, but basically found an exact replica by somebody in the small town that they're currently in. And it's a 1970 Dodge Challenger. And she wants to test drive it. The ladies arrive at the owner of the Challenger's house. His name is Jasper, and he has a thick native accent. After looking at the car, Zoe tells Jasper she needs to have a word with her associate and she walks over to Kim. She tells Kim she wants Kim to come with her to take her on the test drive so they can play the game Ship's Mast. Kim is very against this, becoming instantly and visibly upset with Zoe for even asking. Going as far as reminding Zoe, she told Kim that would, they would never play this game again, and if she did, she had Zoe's permission to physically restrain her ass. Zoe reluctantly agrees, reminds Kim that had she known that she would find the car from Vanishing Point, she would have made a small clause. Kim agrees on the condition that Zoe cracks her back all the time when she likes it, amongst other things. Kim and Zoe then go over to tell Abernathy that they'll be back later if they test drive the car. Abernathy wants to come with two, but Kim tells her no, as it's too dangerous and she's too much of a mom to do what they want to do. Abernathy is tired of that excuse and makes a deal with them that if she gets Jasper let them all go, then she gets to come with two. To, to convince Jasper, she has to kind of insinuate that Lee is an adult actress. And while they're gone, the two of them can get to know one another. The ladies honk the horn before leaving and let Lee know that they'll be back later come get to come get her. They stop the car in the middle of the road. Zoe and Kim get out and discuss who will, who will start first. Zoe will start. She asks Abernathy for her belt, and out of some reluctancy, she gives it to her. Zoe and Kim tie the belts on either side of the cars by the window. The girls then speed down the road, and Zoe climbs out of the car window onto the roof and eventually sliding down the hood of the car. While this is happening, Stuntman Mike is watching them nearby. He then speeds off towards them. As they're driving down the road, at first Abernathy is a little bit scared, and then Kim convinces her to climb to the front to just enjoy the moment that they're having. And for a brief moment, Abernathy on her face looks like she's having fun. It's freedom that we get to see from her. Something that she doesn't do often, but the adrenaline is really getting to her, and she's just enjoying the moment for what it is. A very fun time with a group of her friends. Stuntman Mike catches up with the girls and slams into the back of their car, starting a hair-rising car game of cat and mouse. This freaks the ladies out and confuses them. He continuously slams his car against theirs, which leads to Zoe losing her grip on the belt as they slip more and more out of her hands. Eventually, she's holding onto the hood of the car by her fingertips, holding on for dear life. He gives him a final hit that makes Kim swerve so hard that Zoe goes flying off the car. Stuntman Mike gets out of his car and happily tells the girls that it was fun and starts to head off. 
Before he can get away, though, Kim pulls out her gun and open fires on Mike a couple times, hitting him once in the shoulder. He takes off down the road while Kim and Abernathy grieve for Zoe, only for her to pop up, waving her arms, saying she's okay. The ladies decide that they want revenge. Zoe finds a pipe on the ground and they take off on the hunt. Meanwhile, stuntman Mike is screaming and crying due to the bullet lodged in his shoulder. He pulls out a bottle of liquor from his glove compartment, drinks some of it, and tries to clean it off, clean off the wound with it. As he goes for another swig, he gets slammed from the rear by Kim. Zoe hops out and starts beating stuntman Mike with a pole while yelling at him. Abernathy and Kim cheer her on. He then speeds off again. Zoe hops back into the car, and the final chase scene begins. Kim chases him up and down the highway and back roads. They damage property and other drivers that, and anything else, mind you, that get in their path repeatedly. The back of stuntman Mike's car is hit multiple times by Kim throughout, with the final hit being that the causes stuntman Mike to lose control of his vehicle and it flips over and crashes. Kim, Abernathy, and Zoe all get out of the car. They drag Stuntman Mike out of the car and force him to stand up. They all take turns kicking and punching him, essentially beating him to death with their bare hands. Abernathy gives a final blow to Stuntman Mike, which is a death kick to the face. The three women jump in the air in celebration and the words the end come up on screen. When I say Death Proof is my favorite Tarantino film of all time, I truly mean my favorite Quentin Tarantino film of all time. It has every aspect I want. I like the plot. I like the foreshadowing. The characters are kind of quirky. Some of them fun, interesting. And overall, this film is not supposed to take place over a long period of time, in particular in the two parts this movie is broken down into. But it feels like it's done quickly, but not not too quick where I feel like it, it rushed by. Quickly where I'm like, wow, I just want to watch it again and absorb all that I just watched. For myself, I thought it was a good display in particular in the second act of Girl Power, Woman Empowerment. I really appreciated that. Um, and I feel like that at a young age when I watched this when I was a teenager in 2007. And I feel like that again whenever I watch it. Um, Tracy Tom's character reminds me of Samuel Jackson, just in female form. Uh, I love the way that she delivered her lines. It was it seemed authentic. It felt raw. It didn't feel like she was reading off of a script. It really felt like she embodied this character. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pineapple Reels. Next week, I'll be diving into a movie about a disorder called Pika, which I have never heard of until I watched this very, very interesting film that tackles some hard issues. Stay tuned.